Side, a spinoff podcast of the Film Stage Show and the Film Stage website. Today, we're in a seasonal mood. We're here to talk during Halloween time about a Halloween queen, one Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm speaking and talking about her with one of my favorite people, producer in New York, producer extraordinaire, Teresa Scott. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> I kind of fucked up on this one. I suggested suggested Jamie Lee Curtis, and I've watched one and a half of the movies we're going to talk about. <laughs> but that is not a fuck up at all because I watched. Well, you took. Well, we both kind of we owned two halves of what we're talking about. So, Jamie Lee, famous for her early movies with John Carpenter, specifically, obviously Halloween, but then also The Fog. And then she was also in Prom Night and Terror Train, all within basically three years. Um, Are those from... movies John Carpenter movies? No, but I think you have from 78 through 80. Roger Spottiswood directed Terror Train and Paul Lynch directed Prom Night. So really for three years, she was literally like the scream queen. And then, of course, branched out in things like um, Trading Places and then... Uh, a slew of other movies. And I think, you know, to jump into it, obviously this is the B-side where we talk about movie stars and not the movies that made them famous or kept them famous, but the movies they made in between. And Jamie Lee Curtis is an interesting subject in as in as much as I don't know that she ever really was a movie star because I don't... Like, do you go see a movie because of Jamie Lee Curtis? What do you think? No. I, well, I mean, I feel like... Well, I mean, I first came into Jamie Lee Curtis with like... Oh, she's in all those horror movies. I was really, really obsessed with Scream when I was a kid. Right. So they make a lot of references to Jamie Lee Curtis. And I'm like, I want to see all these Jamie Lee Curtis movies. So I watched all the bad, um, you know. Like you watch Terror Train. You watch Prom Night. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And Um, that was even, and that's funny because as we're, as you're listening, um, it's either right before Halloween or, you know, obviously after Halloween. But as we're recording, Halloween's right on the horizon. And I've been talking with uh, my wife Kelly about do we want to revisit, you know, these scary movies. It's that time of year. And Scream is one we both were realizing that we've seen but kind of maybe should revisit. And you were telling me about all the Jamie Lee Curtis references. And I was kind of like, yeah, I should really watch that again. Um, I mean, Hollywood kind of did her a dirty, though. Like, they, like... They couldn't really figure out what to do with her because it's like you look at all these movies. It's like there was like a time. I mean, I guess perfect the first one where like they're trying and trading places are trying to make her sexy. They're trying to make yeah. her like whatever, and she doesn't really fit in that role. Yeah, and then they just like don't know what to like. She, yeah, what she does, and then she ends up doing yogurt commercials. Yeah, <laughs> she exactly. She's a good. You're right. She's a good example, kind of that thing where. You know, she was a scream queen in these movies, in these slasher movies. And she then, like, wasn't sexy. She was wholesome. She was wholesome. And then, though, she's the hooker with the heart of gold, literally, mm-hmm. in Trading Places, where she's, you know, she gets nude, right? Which uh, you were telling me before we started recording is a reference directly in uh, in Scream. And uh, and then we'll just jump into our first movie, I suppose. Uh, 
you know, not too long after she makes uh, Trading Places, she's basically in a couple of little scene movies in 1984, Love Letters and Grandview, USA. She's in another movie in 1984 that's now a cult classic, The Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai, which I will admit I've never seen. I haven't either, but her scenes were deleted, so it doesn't even matter. Oh, is that true? Yeah. Oh, so there you go. Well-researched Teresa Scott. So the first movie in 1985 uh, that we'll talk about... is Perfect, directed by James Bridges, co-starring John Travolta, who's in his own little like B-side valley when this movie comes mm. out. And um, I'll admit, um, this is kind of a... Fa- be- I think because of Travolta, this is kind of known as a famous flop in, lo- in that same, same way that kind of all of these movies that Travolta made were considered a flop of some sort in the late 80s and obviously early 90s. And then Pulp Fiction being the thing that brought him back to some prominence. Mm -hmm. But I'll say that I kind of liked Perfect. Yeah, I liked it too. Like, I've always heard of it as, like, this... um, It's like like a How Did This Get Made, um, you know, podcast movie. It's a, you know... Obviously, the trailer and the premise of it, like, is so easy to make fun of. It's just, like, these bodies, like, gyrating in a fitness class and, like... That is what you think the movie is, just like this ridiculous, terrible, terrible outfits with, you know, crotches that I don't know how anybody is working out with. Like, those women had leggings on under their jumpsuits. Yeah, because the 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 wardrobe I, alone. I just feel like all that's movie, gonna get eaten up. Yeah, and it's very, obviously very 80s, of course. I mean, so basically some backstory. Perfect um, is a movie that is literally about a journalist, uh, one John Travolta, who is doing an article about aerobics classes in these health you know, centers, these gyms, these like fancy gyms back in the 80s. And his his like thought is like these are the new single singles bars right like people go do aerobics and it's sexy and like blah 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 and Jamie Lee Curtis is an aerobics instructor at this LA um, uh, you know uh, gym and and he's a journalist for Rolling Stone and Jan Winner who is Rolling Stone is plays like his editor in the mm-hmm. movie, which is so weird. Yeah, Rolling Stone is definitely deep in the movie, but there's a B side of there being um like a mobbed up criminal story element that like oh, well, like yeah. like a B plot in this movie that is that's what made the movie so interesting to me because it's like totally. It's insane and it's stupid and it doesn't really fit, but you know, I kind of liked it. I kind of liked it. It's basically, yeah, it's basically the movie opens with he's got this aerobics assignment, but while he's setting that up, he's got this pending interview with this criminal. He's like a white collary criminal and he doesn't know if he can get the interview, but he's going to write the story anyway. And then he does get the interview and then he, um, you know, he does get the interview with this guy and he writes this article this that's separate from Jamie Lee Curtis and it gets published as this movie's going on where he's also now like kind of has a dalliance with Jamie Lee Curtis or a flirtation but she's might be his interview subject so he doesn't want to engage in any sort of personal whatever with her 
because of integrity. And then the movie, ultimately, that's kind of what the movie's about. It's about like journalistic integrity and moral integrity while also being this kind of critique of 80s culture. And James Bridges, who directed this movie, he did movies like The Paper Chase and Bright Lights Big City later in the 80s. Uh, is when Bright Lights Big City came out. That kind of did that. They kind of meshed two different tones. So it was something he was familiar with. And I do think it kind of works in Perfect. But obviously, I think that's what critics and audiences may have rejected. I, yeah, I mean, like, the movie is probably not good. It's just I feel like everything that I was expecting the movie to be was um, this ridiculous, um, like, almost, like, chopping mall thing of like just here's this aerobics class and like these people are just gonna like you know bang and do aerobics and there's gonna be music and there's not gonna be a plot so i was really surprised to see the b plot of like yeah oh this doesn't fit but it is it goes is okay it kind of works i guess yeah and i do think one thing that helps the movie is that travolta and jamie lee curtis have very good chemistry i felt um uh, I don't she know, looks that, great in the well, movie. Well, that's true. She let's just say that she is. I think she gives a pretty good performance as well. I think I don't know that she's ever looked better. She feels like she's really doing those aerobics. Right? She's like running these classes, and her thing is like she's a very like she runs a really tough class. Like like Travolta's asking the other people, and they're like, "Oh yeah, man, Jesse, she runs this really tough, you know, tough ship." And then he starts taking aerobics and whatnot. We won't talk too much more about the plot of the movie. It is a little funny. It's a it's obviously very goofy. It's exactly two hours long. It's definitely overwrought in some instances. It's definitely got that '80s feel of kind of self seriousness mixed with mixed with goofiness. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, and I think. The whole the whole thing you know comes through in that way. It does feel like Jamie Lee Curtis is making a concerted decision to do something different. Obviously, it does also seem like Travolta is a little lost, right? I think if you're talking about who wins this movie, it's definitely Jamie Lee Curtis. She's got some really silly lines, and she sells the heck out of them. I don't think Travolta does as well of a job. And obviously, you know, you know, for you know, the movie does come out and makes twelve million dollars. Well, thirteen, rounded up, makes thirteen million dollars. Cost twenty, doesn't go anywhere. Gets roped into this thing of Travolta, his lost eighties and whatnot. I think it's a little unfair. Like I said, I think there's things to like about the movie. I think it does get into this idea of what is perfect mean and like are we we supposed to be making fun of these people who are just trying to better themselves i mean like that's the problem with the movie though it's like it doesn't really know yeah that's a good point the movie doesn't really seem to know where it stands on it i think that's probably the ultimate failure of of kind of the ultimate tone and the ultimate message i also don't have like context i don't know if like it like the outfits are ridiculous and silly and were ridiculous and silly then. I think they were. Or they're just like, they were cool because there's a lot of bulges going on. Like I can't <laughs> imagine that like that many bulges and like, you know, high. I don't know, man. The 80s were a different time. When we were doing Jane, I was on, I was lucky enough to be on uh, our friends, Gavin and Louie run a podcast called The Mixed Reviews. Gavin was on the Cape Blanchett episode of the B-Side, and I was lucky enough to be on his Jane Fonda episode with uh, him and Louie. And I watched a lot of Jane Fonda's uh, like videos that mm. were were eighty these 80, videos in the eighties where she's basically doing aerobics, and they're that's what they're dressed like. I mean, I think that yeah. was the style. 
Yeah, I guess so. I mean, it's like pastels. It's like very short everything and slim everything. Like the leotards are so fucking high. Let's just for the rest of the podcast talk about that. Let's just not talk about any of the other movies. And talk I think about- so. Let's talk about the clothes though, because it made me really uncomfortable when like John Travolta is in the gym and he's wearing a suit and he wouldn't get out of the suit until like you know the middle of the second act, and I was I felt very uncomfortable for him. And there's a lot of thrusting. I didn't think he was a good journalist by like not fitting in. That's interesting. There's a whole there's a whole extended basically eight minute sequence where like they're doing they're having like aerobics eye sex where like he's in her class and they're like thrusting and like looking at each other yeah. and it's very strange but also feels very of a time yeah, um, yeah the production design's weird in this movie very weird the movie my, as a whole is weird yeah my like only other note that i had that i took two notes and one was about the bulges and one was about <laughs> in the beginning of the movie they set up that he's like this big rolling stone you know killer um yeah, like a rock star journalist yeah yeah and, like, he did a bad interview about Carly Simon, who's in the restaurant, comes up to him. And she throws a glass of wine in his face, oh, yeah. which is, like, fucking gravy. Like, the, right. the way that the wine goes onto his face. That's so funny. I literally was watching it, and I don't even think I thought it was wine. Because it didn't yeah. even look like wine. Just and that like, really was Carly Simon, I believe. I think it was, yeah. Yeah. And, and um, anyway, that's perfect. That's <laughs> You know, watch it. It's currently available on Amazon Prime. If you're listening now, it's probably no longer available on Amazon Prime. No, I can't find it, but you, you did. Yeah, so just uh, there's a chance you're going to have to rent it. I don't know that it's worth a rental per se, but it is It is definitely a placeholder of a, of a different time. And I do think Jamie Lee Curtis has given a really good performance here. Let's move on to our number two movie. A little movie called Blue Steel. Now, let's just jump right into it. This is the best movie of the four. This is a crazy underrated movie. Catherine Bigelow getting her studio shot here. This is... She made Near Dark. Okay. And this is Blue Steel, 1990. And this was a big flop. Eight million only. Jamie Lee Curtis is a cop. Um, She's involved in a... Well, actually, correct me, T, because you were able to rewatch this. Mm-hmm. I actually was not able to rewatch she this. She just done Near Dark. I'm sorry. Yeah, she had just done Near Dark. She had done The Loveless earlier in the 80s. This is kind of her big shot. Mm-hmm. And like I said, it doesn't really hit. But I think, you know, near 30 years later, we're watching it. And I think it's kind of a brilliant, kind of a brilliant cop thriller. Do you want to jump mean, into it's it? It's just like campy and, you know, kind of what... I would have expected something that was kind of like, like uh, from all the marketing of this movie and from like what um, very little I knew about it, I expected just a, you know, a whatever, run of the mill cop um, action right. movie. And then like, you know, rookie cop comes in to the force, you know, her parents aren't too, um, aren't too supportive. She's got family issues. She doesn't have that many friends. She's... Right. Always wanted to be a cop, and then she becomes one, and then makes a mistake, you know, first day on the job. Right. And that mistake then spirals into this, like, she shoots a dude in the uh, in a botched grocery store robbery, who I believe is, he's somebody. Ron Silver. No, no, no. Oh, the no. guy she shoots. Oh, I'm sorry. Is like a... Let's see if we can look it up. But yeah, so she shoots a guy. That's the mistake she makes, yeah, right? Yeah, she shoots so a dude. That's before Ron Who has a gun 
And then he throws his gun over to the aisle where there's hostages, where Ron Silver is lying down. And then um, Ron Silver, like, picks up the gun. Oh, it's Tom Sizemore, I think. Yeah, yeah, it That's is Tom Sizemore. Is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Ron Silver picks up the gun and, like, runs out of the grocery store before he can get a witness statement. Right. And then, That's right. So, basically, he's run out, and then they're like, where's the gun? This guy didn't have a gun. You just shot an unarmed man. And the NYPD with was not cool with it. They were <laughs> totally against form, just being like, <laughs> "Like this is not cool." That's right, Ron Silver. Megan, you fucked up. <laughs> Megan Turner, what did you do? Yeah, because basically, Ron Silver is like a finance guy, and he's basically like a. So, one one of the things I like about the movie so much is it's. It's deep into this idea of of guns and violence, right? Where it's so Tom Sizemore, like we just mentioned, he's the robber. Uh, Megan Turner, who's Jamie Lee Curtis, shoots him. The gun falls away. Ron Silver, who's a bystander at this point, picks up the gun and then goes away, like, like Teresa mentioned. And then it's almost like him having the gun is like this... Like yeah, testosterone pill or something. Yeah, it's like he's never seen a gun before, and he like slowly picks it up, and then is like ends up going on just like a you know American Psycho murder spree. Exactly, and I love the Ron Silver performance. So crazy, so over the top. Jamie Lee Curtis is almost doing the exact opposite, which is why I think it works. You have this kind of you know she's a woman in a man's world. That's obviously a very big part of this movie as well. That I think has aged really nicely in terms of like gender politics. When you watch it, I think. She's doing a lot with that. The movie's doing a lot with that. Catherine Bigelow, as a filmmaker, a young filmmaker, an ambitious filmmaker, is doing a lot with it. The movie looks amazing. Amir Mokri, I'm hopefully pronouncing that right, shot the film. And um, everything's just very kind of hyper. The performances, the visuals, um, really kind of when you watch it, the fact, the fact that she would make Point Break, which is such a testosterone-filled movie, it makes so much sense, right? This is almost her, she's like dipping her toe in what will become, you know, her look, right? Like Point Break and then Strange Days, yeah. right? This kind of very like, you know, But like virile. this movie also has like so much like gaslighting going on too. It's right. like, you know, she says the dude has a gun. Nobody believes her. They're like, well, where's the gun? Right. Like y'all, like nobody saw a gun, and then she, you know, she gets put, she gets taken off of, you know, that assignment becomes just like kind of like a run of the mill uh, cop until I think she gets suspended eventually, um, and then they only decide to put her back into become to being a detective when there is a murder. Like there's there's a murder with the gun right. and her name is carved into the bullets of the shells that are left. And so then they like they like bring her in and they're like, What? It says Megan Turner on these bullets. You know any other Megan Turners? Like <laughs> that is what'd such, you do, girl? <laughs> that is that is such a strange like plot development. <laughs> Very kind of insane like and type like, of move. I'm never really clear on why the hell he um like got so obsessed with her i guess because she represents his awakening to like having a gun well and isn't it about and once again like like you said before you've seen this more recently than i have but isn't it about isn't it so about the male like he he feels so much power 
with this weapon and so much power as a man that he's that's part of his obsession is like he was there at her kind of quote unquote downfall and then he has the thing literally like the thing that is the result is mm-hmm. the you know the inflection point of that right and it, it feels like it's you know it, it's a nice all works is kind of a nice microcosm of the whole gender thing yeah, a little bit, but then it's also just like a gun fetish movie. It's like... Totally, I guess. You yeah. know, the way that she finds out that he is... I mean, this is the other good thing about the movie is like... Uh, they start dating. I don't know right. if you said that. I have not. I was waiting. Um, <laughs> so he like seeks her out outside of the police force, um, the police precinct, and then they start, you know, going out. He takes her to like fancy dinners they get like into it pretty quick he takes it slow though a little bit like right. they have a date where they go to a restaurant they then go on to um a um helicopter ride as like well because he's yeah, a, like a rich guy yeah, yeah he's like a wall street dude and, right. like you know stockbroker successful lives in a very nice apartment um then he um takes it slow after that it's not going to come up and then when he does come up to her apartment which is like i don't know 45 minutes into the movie or something the good thing about the movie is you find out from her perspective that he is this guy who's been shooting people with her name in the bullets <laughs> so crazy so early on right and then the rest of the movie isn't like it's the whole movie isn't her just like being like oh um like like the climax isn't Oh, I'm dating the guy. True. It's right. like that's revealed earlier than like the third act or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Yeah, it's revealed rather early on. And so then it's like, oh, I'm dating this guy. But then again, nobody believes her because I don't know. Everybody's terrible. Yeah, but that's, but once again, I think if you're thinking about this movie not as this like realistic depiction of, you know, the NYPD in 1990, but rather as a kind of gender observation Mm -hmm. along with violence, along with guns and gun control and whatnot, it's kind of, it's kind of amazing that Catherine Bigelow was able to achieve this much within this hundred minute, you know, movie. So by the time you get to the end where she kind of, um, you know, she gets back her mojo, so to speak, it really, I feel like you've really gone through the ringer in a good way. It's like she never really does though. I mean, like. No, she gets, come on. She gets her mojo back. She gets, she hooks up with. um, Clancy Brown. With Clancy Brown. Detective Nick Mann. Yeah. Like he starts to believe her, whatever. But then, like, um, Rob S- Ron Silver is just, like, following her around in, like, like a very, like, um, like Michael Myers sort of way. He's, yeah, like, like, he becomes basically, like, a supernatural killer. Yeah. Right. Like, he shows up at her parents' house. He shows up, yeah. like, wherever she Well, that's what I mean. It's, it's, a, it's a totally unreal, like, it's, a, it's like a hyper-real movie. But I do like that at the end, you know, obviously, spoil, spoiler alert for a 28-year-old movie. But, you know, she she asserts herself by the end of the movie. So, I don't know. I, I do, I do kind of champion this thing as a super underrated. And I do think, as I say that, it has obviously been reappraised. <laughs> and I do think has a has a nice following. I would love to see 
you know, a full kind of retrospective re-release type yeah. of thing, you know, criterion or whatnot. Sure. But. The guns in this movie are insane too. Cause like not even just like the guns, like I watched this movie on my computer and the gunshots really like stuck out to me. Sure. It's like super loud. Like, right. you know, I'm not watching it with like a good sound system. It's just like the gunshots are mixed so loud right. and like, it's just like, they're like the most present thing in this. And then, yeah, I mean, just to kind of wrap it up with Blue Steel, as an exercise in style, if nothing else, it's great. And also, as we mentioned, speaks to then what would be Point Break and then what would be then Strange Days, which is another incredibly underrated movie. All of it culminating in these more recent movies that are are obviously more informed by real life, right? Zero Dark Thirty, Detroit, The Hurt Locker. And then I guess just to kind of give context, right? After Blue Steel, which is a, is a flop, it's right after A Fish Called Wanda, right? Um, which is 1989. In a big hit, Kevin Klein gets the Oscar. Right after... Wait, Blue... she's great in that movie. She's great. That whole movie's great. And we'll yeah. we'll get back to that because one of the movies we're talking about, which I don't even think we've mentioned yet, I don't is... think we've said what we're watching. What well, we're... whatever. I mean, we're into it now. So That's fine. basically, so you have Perfect in 85. You have... Blue Steel in 1990. Right after that, she's in My Girl, which is a hit. You got Macaulay. You got Anna Chomsky. That's like her moving into like like mom territory. She like... I guess, right? She's like the girlfriend in there, but she's not. She's a whatever. She's like Dan Aykroyd's girlfriend. Um, she's like moved from being somebody who's like... Uh, they're trying to do a leading lady thing. They're trying to do like you know, uh, like, sexy ingenue thing with her. Then they just, like, move her over to being a mom when she is, like, 30? Yeah, basically. She's, like, 32. 32? Yeah. My Girl 1, 59.5 million. My Girl 2, 17.3. What happened? People were just like, no Macaulay. Macaulay. I don't care. And so that's 1994. And then, but then, 1994, also... True Lies, which mm-hmm. is, there's a lot going on. She's given a whole lot of performance in that mm-hmm. movie. It's a long action movie. James Cameron, epic. Her and Arnold Schwarzenegger. I yeah. I think it's a great performance. It's great. I mean, I, I, um, Jamie Lee Curtis has got this, like, sexy, like, whatever thing going on of just, like, her. A very specific being... type of sexiness. Yeah. By the, by the way, you, you, you missed over, though, um. Oh, tell me. A movie we sh- I didn't really want to watch for this show, um, so I didn't. But <laughs> I did watch a trailer. There is a movie called Mother's Boys. Mother's Boys. Um, Tell 1993. Me uh, the premise is that Jamie Lee Curtis abandons her husband and her sons without any explanation. This is the IMDb description. And three years later, she inexplicably returns to reunite her family. However. Um, her husband and their new lover have returned and they see her for the true psychopath that she is wow. and try their best to protect their sons. Whoa. Peter Gallagher, Joanne Whaley yeah. Kilmer, Val Kilmer's old flame, Josh, Josh Acklin and Vanessa Redgrave, music by George Clinton. Is that the same George Clinton? No, that's no. different George Clinton. Okay. Oh, no, no. no. It is. I think it is the same George Clinton. Regardless, regardless, that movie sounds crazy. We should be talking about that. Yeah, the trailer was nuts. Like, it didn't seem to quite work. Um, like, they're trying to make her like the 
I guess this is in the time of like fatal attraction yeah, and basic sex instinct. thrillers and whatnot. Like you know, you know, femme fatale yeah. sex thrillers, but it just looks very bad. <laughs> well, now I think I gotta now I, th- now I think I gotta go back and watch this movie, <laughs> Mother's Boys. Yeah, and then yeah, so True Lies is obviously a monster hit. Um, definitely, you know, look. Like we talk about when we when, when we record these podcasts, right? If you're going to put different points, different peaks and valleys in a star's career, you have all the horror movies that opened her career. Mm. That's a huge peak. Trading Places continues that. Then you have kind of those mid-80s like we talked about. Not a lot going on, right? Then you have Fish Called Wanda, you know, which is a cultural touch point in a lot of ways. 1988, 1989. Blue Steel should have been seen by more people. Then, like then, like Teresa said, she's in kind of a more mom type of role. My girl, forever young, romantic lead, mother's boys. I don't. It looks like it barely got a release. And then True Lies is another peak, but it only. There's really nothing that follows that. House Arrest is this weird. I think it's a Disney movie where it's her and Kevin Pollak get kidnapped by their kids. They get like locked it's, in. It's kind of. It feels to me like... Not a I, Disney movie. It says MGM, which I is I don't crazy. remember this movie too well, but it feels like a kid's version of The Ref. You remember the movie The Ref? It is. That is exactly what it is. Yeah. yeah it's the kids. Their parents are basically like, they're at each other, right? They're, they can't stand each other. And the kids plot to literally lock them in the basement so that they'll work their stuff out. Right. That's what the movie is. And I remember watching it a bunch as a kid. I think it was just always on. Mm-hmm. So that's just this weird, you know, at the time didn't make any money. And then we'll get to our third movie, 1997. And I will tell you, this was a disappointment for, for me. Um, it's called Fierce Creatures. It is a spiritual sequel, I suppose, um, to... Uh, a fish called Wanda, in as much as it stars the same four leads: John Cleese, Jamie Lee Curtis, Kevin Klein, and Michael Palin. But it is it's directed by different people. It's directed by Fred Shapishi. Sh- I, mean, I always say this name wrong. Fred Shapishi, let's say, and Robert Young directed this, and it was written by John Cleese. And the movie Who she's married to, right? Not in. Not in real life, no. Uh, she's married to Christopher Guest, ah, another brilliant close comedian. Enough Very to there. close, yes, yes. Um, but so the plot of this movie is literally Jamie Lee Curtis gets a job at this big company that's almost like a fox or something like that. It's called Octopus Inc. Ha ha ha. And the owner is this dude, Rod McCain, played by uh, Kevin Klein in heavy makeup, and his kind of near dwell son. Also played by Kevin Klein, without any makeup, is this you know you know like I said does nothing near to well guy, and basically what happens is she gets this job, but then the the job she's supposed to have the CEO Rod McCain he sells the thing and then she has to get another job and kind of spur of the moment her and the son decide to go take over a zoo. That they're running in England that currently is being run by John Cleese. Mm-hmm. And Michael Palin is like one of the people who work at the zoo. So it's almost, it's weird to watch because you think about the movie We Bought a Zoo. It's a kind of a similar premise. Obviously, the inciting incident is way different. But it then the movie becomes about saving a zoo. And it's supposed to be a farce. And it's supposed to be this commentary on big business. And... 
like the soullessness of capitalism and, and the wholesomeness of doing what you love. But it's just not very funny. And it feels right. very misplaced. You have all these four great actors who made this amazing piece of work only really nine years earlier. And then you have this kind of nothing movie that, you know, didn't make any money, didn't really get much of a, you know, I don't think, it, critically, I don't think it was like a huge flop, but cost 25 million and made nine mm. and just disappears really quickly. I think they reshot a decent amount of it or, or some portion of it. I, you know, it's one of these things. This was a weird time, right? This is late nineties. The whole movie star model is kind of falling away. These types of movies are going to kind of start getting made mm. less and less. This is right before, you know, the X-Men and the Spider-Man and things are the market itself start, starts to very much change. So in a lot of ways, it's like, think about it like this. It's amazing that this movie, 1997, came out in 1997, uh-huh. the same year as Titanic, right? Like the same year, you know, when you look back, it just feels like a movie that is so much older than it even is. And Jamie Lee Curtis, it looks like. You know, there are moments where you can imagine there are like takes that exist where she, she's charming and you know kind of hitting punchlines or having good exchanges with John Cleese and she basically kind of as the movie goes on develops an interest in John Cleese and there are all these gags that are returned on over and over again throughout and they're just mm-hmm. not funny enough to be like a motif in the movie but yet they still are Kevin Klein who maybe Kevin Klein very possibly is my favorite actor I love Kevin yeah. Klein is so, so wasted in this movie. And he's playing two roles. And I just, it's such a shame. I, I really, I can't overstate it. I kind of knew this was this weird spiritual sequel that nobody really talked about. But to watch it, you know, I just was like, ah, oh, man, I almost wish I hadn't because it was so, ugh. Is John Cleese like some sort of sex symbol in this movie? Yeah, like that's part of the joke is that they think John Cleese is this like ladies man, but he's not mm-hmm. because it's it's this whole thing with these animals and it's very like overall. I get it. Obviously, it's a farce. It's meant to be a farce. But look, Fish Called Wanda is this like genre bending comedy and it totally works. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you know, it totally it can to- it can totally work, but in this case, it just doesn't hit. So, you know, that's kind of all we'll say about that one. You can you can kind of you know uh, turn left on you know turn left away from fierce creatures. And then yeah, look, this isn't to be very honest. This isn't a very kind of down period for her. You know, she in 1998 she'll be in Halloween H two O, which is good, right? A good it's sequel. Good. Wait, so question though. So tell me, Halloween H two O. Yes. Did not happen in the current iteration of the movie that's coming out tomorrow is yeah, that right exactly the movie if you're listening the new halloween directed by david gordon green as i understand it i have not seen it but as i understand it is a direct sequel to the first halloween so no halloween 2 halloween no. 2 is even just second day though they can slide that in. no ha- i know no halloween 2 no h2o no no resurrection halloween resurrection she's in that one too that I don't even know, but that was that came out too because Halloween H two O was it was a hit, and then four years later they made Halloween Resurrection. I don't. It was like, I think Buster Rhymes is in it. She's I in it. I kind of remember, but that, but like I also think it had something to do with Jason. Is that right? No, you're thinking of thinking Freddy, Freddy versus, versus Jason. Jason. But there's also something where like is Halloween Resurrection in space? No, what no, 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 no. You're thinking of Jason X. Mm, I don't know. 
I don't think Halloween Resurrection's in space. Now I have to look it up. Stand by. I feel like I saw that movie at the drive-in when I was like 16 or something. 14. And... I'm on Wikipedia. Three years after H2O, mm-hmm. Laurie Strode has been confined to a psychiatric facility after accidentally killing a man whom she had mistaken for her brother, Michael Myers. So this is still within the timeline of yes. H2O happening? Yes. The resurrection is because I feel like Halloween like always like always reinvents itself. I don't like, know though. Isn't there a through line because Halloween Halloween two it's revealed that they're brother and sister, right? And then I think season of the witch exists almost separately, like, separately but maybe in the same world. I, I do think well, I do think world. Jamie Lee Curtis has a like a voice cameo in season mm-hmm. of the witch. So uh, you know, there's a little bit of reinvention, but I do think they always go back to Laurie Strode. And then I think in this new one that's probably currently out, if you're listening, um, this is I don't even know if they're brother and sister. This is like a direct. From Halloween 1, this person tried to kill her. It's 30 years later, 40 years later, whatever. And she's like prepared now. I think that's what it is. Yeah. But regardless, so H2O, I guess you could call it a peak because she's returning to the thing that made her famous. It's a hit, right? And then... That's not a hit because of her, though. Well, that's what I'm saying, right? But it is still... She's in it. It's hot young stars. Yeah, Josh Hardnett. Yeah. Represent. Michelle Williams. Yeah. LL Cool J. Lady Love Cool James. Uh, you have some uh, Joseph Gordon Love of them there. Is he in that? He's, he's oh in the beginning. Oh my gosh, JGL. He, uh, You're right. He goes to rescue uh, Jamie Lickerdis's mom. Uh, oh, who Janet is Lee. her real mom? Yeah. We didn't even mention this. Some people might not know this, but Jamie Lee Curtis is Hollywood royalty. She is the daughter of Tony Curtis and Janet Lee. Janet Lee, who was in Psycho. So, but the Tony Curtis actually uh, cut Jamie Lee and her. Brother or sister, I don't know who else is in that family. Out of his will. Classic Tony. died, yeah. Classic Tony C. That's yeah. mean. No, mean. like I couldn't find anything too much on him uh, on the internet about him being an asshole, but he really seems like he was an asshole. <laughs> well, if you did that, that doesn't seem No, he was married nice. six times. That's never a good sign. Okay, well, there you go. I didn't know that. Five yeah. times, six times. Oh, well, I'm looking it up right now. Yeah, you're right. Wow. Six times. Go on. Janet Lee from 51 to 62. And then all the way down the line. Well, what are you gonna do, Tony? Died at the age of eighty-five. Only in twenty ten. Yeah, he was long. He was around for a long time. Um, the last movie we'll talk about is Virus, which is unequivocally the worst of these four. I'll say that. I didn't watch it. You didn't watch it, and God bless you for not watching it. You have you have made your life better. This is this is a weird one. This is one that uh, if you look it up, Jamie Lee Curtis has openly said she hated hated making, knew it was gonna be bad while she was making it. I think she even said. It was one of the only movies she ever made. Well, while she was making it, she knew it was just not going to work. And so basically, I'm going to be real quick about this one. Jamie Lee Curtis is playing a, a pseudo Ripley type of a character. She's on a boat with Billy Baldwin, Donald Sutherland, putting on some weird accent as this like drunk skipper. They're on a boat. <laughs> they're 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 uh, they're uh, they have a hall that like Donald Sutherland put all of his money into. It's like a very important thing for him. And of course, what do they do? They run into a hurricane. They can't get out of it. Mm-hmm. And so they decide that to survive, they're going to go into the eye of the hurricane where it's calm in naturally. the middle. Naturally, as you would, of course. And then and then ride it out. So they do that. 
And whilst in the eye of the hurricane, on their radar, they notice, hey, there's another bigger ship in this eye with us. Maybe they'll have supplies because we don't have enough food and blah, blah, blah. Maybe we can survive. So they go over to this big ship, which we learn we saw in a prologue. It's a Russian ship that basically got fucked up by some quote-unquote virus. Like a computer virus or a virus virus? No, so right. This is important. Like a computer virus from like an alien satellite or something. That's basically Did the idea. Did it affect idea. the people or just well, like ship computers? So this is it. It affects all the ship computers but then does more. And then by the time Jamie Lee Curtis and company get to the ship, it seems like everybody's dead. But then like one Russian woman's still alive. Kind of the one that we were with at the beginning of the movie. And this is where the movie gets crazy. It becomes basically a body horror movie. Right, and I was reading a little bit about this. It was a big, 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 big flop, and it came out. I guess it has a call following. I don't really know about this call following, but I kind of understand it because the body horror stuff is interesting. I suppose in its design, it's kind of like that movie Tetsuo, which me and you were talking about before the podcast. It's like basically the ship has the virus in it, and the minute that Billy Baldwin and Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Sutherland turn on. The ship again mm. they reignite the virus and it like takes the dead bodies of these shipmates that mm-hmm. are on that were on this russian ship and like injects like metal and machinery into them they're running around trying to kill the people who are alive and so it becomes like a how does that help the the virus because i guess the virus is trying to take over the world like this is this it's so it's so it's very short but it's the type of thing where it feels like it's very short because they were cutting out stuff that, you know what I mean? It feels like the type of movie that's short for the wrong reasons. Like, mm. they're like, they're streamlining a movie and it makes no sense, but they're just, they're just doing it to get to those moments, those right. like body horror thriller moments. And none of it just congeals. It's very strange. Jamie the Curtis, obviously she looks like, she, she looks like she, she ultimately would say, which is that she doesn't want to be there. Billy Baldwin, obviously. He wants to always be there. He wants to always be there. He, you know, one of the Baldwin brothers, he was in Backdraft. He was in a couple other movies like Sliver and just movies that never hit fair game with Cindy Crawford. That's another How Did This Get Made episode. I, uh, I always think when I think about the Baldwins, I always think about that line in Clueless where I think she's describing uh, Paul Rudd's character. Yeah. And she's like, okay, he's kind of a Baldwin. And I always think about like, was there a time when like the Baldwins were like, the Hemsworths of... I, I kind of think so. I think like maybe like 94, right? I mean, if I had like to put a year on it. considered Billy as like part of it? Well, yeah, because Billy... I mean, Billy was... He had his star shot. Mm-hmm. Like if we were going to do a Baldwin... That would be an interesting like a Baldwin Brothers B-Sides, right? Because they all were in movies. Like Daniel Baldwin is in John Carpenter's Vampires. Mm. Stephen Baldwin's in Usual Suspects. He's in Biodome. Alec Baldwin famously told him... Don't do Biodome. It'll ruin your... He said, don't do Biodome. Ah, Biodome. Don't do Biodome. It'll ruin your career. And it basically did, right? So that would kind of be an interesting mid-90s B-sides, right? Because also Alec, who is obviously still doing plenty of stuff, his movie star shot also bit was basically squandered by a, by a slew of flops in a row in the I 90s. Mean, he was in like, what, like, he was in like the juror... 
Like, right, which, which didn't do well, right? He was in like I the. I loved that movie. When I was a kid. I feel like a big cable movie. Um, yeah. The Juror. Uh, yeah, he's in like The Juror, Ghost of Mississippi, Miami, Heaven's Prisoners, Miami Blues. Blues? That's, That's early right. in his career. That movie's great. I think. Did, was that movie like? Did it do well? No, but it was a small movie. It was like 1990. You know, that's like when, I mean, look, that's when Jamie Lee is doing Blue Steel and nobody's seeing that. Alex doing Miami Blues and no one's seeing that. That was about like a couple with a baby who was also spies, right? No. You're thinking of something else. What am I thinking about? Uh, now I, now I want to, you know, you're thinking I think of, of something like Baby Blues. Yeah, yeah. You're thinking of the one with Dennis Quaid and Kathleen Turner. Yeah, yeah, It's yeah. called, it's like called Undercover Blues or something like yes. that. Yes. yes. Miami Blues Alec Baldwin basically play. It's actually weird. Now that we're talking about it, it's actually weirdly similar to Blue Steel. It's basically Fred Ward plays a kind of disgruntled cop mm-hmm. who, or PI or something, who gets into an incident, and um, Alec Baldwin plays like a near do well criminal who then goes on this crazy spree and he becomes this like mini psychopath and fred ward is like on his tail and i believe mm-hmm. jennifer jason lee is, is the uh, is the female lead in that hmm. i kind of love that movie george armitage directed that who also directed a little movie called gross point blank which i love so anyway that's now we're deep into alec baldwin b-sides but back to virus and i don't even really want to go back to virus it's it's just a waste of time it really is i mean i i i, I don't want to ever be so negative with movies i mean me and Teresa both work in this industry you know what we produce we've been lucky enough to make movies together short films together and so i think we can say right when we watch these movies at least this is how i feel the more movies i watch the more i do appreciate like you go on set you get a budget people are working hard even on virus People, you know, the gaffer is lighting, the sound guy's making sure the sound equipment works, right? Yeah, I mean, people are working. I mean, that's always the thing about, like, you know, even with, like, Roseanne leaving and, like, coming back to be the other show. Right, the Connors. Like, I don't really want that to happen, but I'm happy those people have their jobs back. 100%. I think about that all the time. That was, like, with, um, you know, uh, House of Cards when it was briefly maybe going to go away because of the Kevin Spacey stuff. When Netflix said they were going to do that final season, I felt so happy for all those DC-based people, some of who whom we probably work with, because mm-hmm. we work in DC sometimes, that they're getting their paycheck. They get eight episodes. They get a few months of work, right? Yeah. Like, and so, somebody who's so happy to work on um, Big Bang Theory, the prequel to that. Oh, yeah. Young Sheldon. Young Sheldon. Yeah. Um, we know a very talented AC who's on that show, who, like... I'm just yeah. like, that show's shitty, but you, like, get a regular work environment. Yeah, so it's that's kind of, right, so that's kind of why when we talk about a movie like Virus, I feel bad that I hated it so much, because you do think about those people, including Jamie Lee Curtis, who's such a talented actress, and like Teresa said earlier, I feel like never really got her full shot as a movie star in Hollywood, probably could have really owned some great movies, not that she didn't have great movies, but... I wonder if Blue Steel had been a bigger hit. Totally. If it would have like changed the trajectory of both of their careers, hundred percent, and that's and that's another thing. I mean, not to with Catherine Bigelow, you know, she didn't get to make another movie. Well, she made Point Break, so never. But mind. I feel like that was already in the works. It was like ninety and ninety one, right? Like, she so Point her thing happening. Is, the deals are done by the time that uh, Blue Steel is not a hit. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting question. If Blue Steel is a hit, does Jamie Lee Curtis become a action heroine not unlike you know i don't know like 
I'm trying, now I'm trying to think. Like Angelina Jolie. Like Angelina, right? Yeah, no, that's it. No, that's good. That's good. Angelina. Like, does she become an action heroine in the same similar way that Angel Angie was briefly one in the early not in the early uh, 2000s? And I think she would have crushed it. And also, True Lies, you know, the role isn't really, you know, she is, she kind of mm-hmm. becomes more of an action person in that movie towards the end. But how great would it be if, like, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis got to make a spy movie? You know, if Blue Steel was a hit. Right. That's kind of, you feel like that's kind of a sad thing that didn't happen to some degree. Like, you know. And they also, especially because Blue Steel's really good, I think. Mm-hmm. So... That's, I mean, look, that's Jamie Lee. She obviously goes on after Virus, which was, I believe, 1999, to kind of have a couple other, like, little comebacks, right? She makes Freaky Friday, huge hit with Lindsay Lohan, right? She makes Christmas with the Cranks with Tim Allen, which is not a great movie, but a Christmas hit. Does a little role in Beverly Hills Chihuahua. And then kind of after that, I think, settles into, you know, getting a little older. She obviously shows up in that show, Scream Queens. She's around. She's in Halloween now. I think she's... I feel like she's just dining out on, like, you know, those past, I don't know, she's... Successes. I don't know if she has kids. She's probably raising her kids, kids. having a good time, doing some cameos. Yeah. And, like, basically it's all cameos after Freaky Friday. It's like, you know, you got the Christmas of the Cranks, and then it's like... You know, Beverly Hills Chihuahua. I can't imagine anybody's in that for real. Um, right. You, again, she's got a main role, but kind of comes and goes. Mm-hmm. Veronica Mars. She plays Zoe Deschanel's mom on New Girl. Mm-hmm. So, you know, like you're saying, she shows up for different things, but... She's yeah. getting work. When, like, work comes along, she's like, all right, I'll take the paycheck. But, like, you know, she's she's got her, uh, you know, philanthropy and... Yeah, you know, she's got some kids. And she seems like, I don't know, to me, she seems like a genuinely good person. Um, She's round on the corner on 60. Looks great. Mm. Like you're saying, obviously doesn't need, like, movie roles, right? She's got a full other thing going on. You know, she's, you know, got a full life. So I think, you know, it's a shame... That we didn't get huge action star, huge movie star Jamie the Curtis in the 90s. But at the same time, it's kind of hard to argue with her peaks, right? I mean, she's been in some great movies. Mm-hmm. And maybe she's not a full-fledged movie star, but that's probably okay. Right. Yeah. You know, I think her legacy had, was etched in stone by 1981. And I think the fact that she was able to diversify against that while still returning to it. Yeah, while still returning to, like, Halloween. She doesn't, like, turn her back on Halloween. Obviously, mm-hmm. she's in this new movie. She was in some of the sequels. You know, a underrated movie, I'll just say, that I would recommend watching that she is in is The Tailor of Panama that came out in 2001. I do love that movie. That's a Pierce Brosnan spy thriller that's basically, like, the anti-James Bond movie that he made literally right before his final James Bond movie, Dying of the Day. So... Definitely check that one out if you can if you can find it. Um, but yeah, I think that's basically it, right? I mean, she is this horror queen who is also, you know, not just a horror queen. She's a great actress. Not that, you know, not that being in horror movies doesn't mean you're a great actress. I'm just saying she's great in the horror movies. She's great in Freaky Friday, right? She's great in these other movies. Yeah, she's funny. She's got personality. I love that Blue Seal exists. Um, I don't love that Virus exists. Not her fault, though. Not her fault. Um, uh, so, yeah. With all that being said, seek out Blue Steel, please. Seek out The Tailor of Panama. Seek out these little movies. Feel free to not seek out Virus. If you're super curious about Fierce Creatures and what happened after Fish Called Wanda, I guess go for it. I... 
it, it's kind of a slog. Um, and perfect. Don't dismiss it. You don't, know, don't just be like it's a it's terrible. It's 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 a, it's a step above terrible. It's a step. It is a step above terrible. That is true. Perfect is more than one step above ter- terrible. I would say it's a little underrated. Mm-hmm. I kind of enjoyed it, and I and I was happy that I watched it. Yeah, like um, if you're hungover on the couch. That movie's on, you know, maybe give it a shot and just like totally. lie there and watch it. Totally. I totally agree. Perfect, I think, is that exact, that is a, the exact right way to say it. Teresa, thanks for being with me. I really appreciate Thank it. Thank you.